We are going through 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, if you want to open up, um, the, the passage will be on the screen. We'll read through it, but I would encourage you just to have it on either your device or tangibly just so you can reference it later in the week because um, once the screen goes down, it's gone. So um, Digital Bulletin has it on there. If you don't have the Bible app, if you go to the Digital Bulletin, it'll have the whole passage ready there with some of my notes that I threw in there that um, you can take a gander at. So um, this study is really about looking at this letter that Peter wrote to a group of churches that are wrestling with persecution, that are wrestling with what it means to be disciples, what it means to follow Christ. And what we thought would be interesting is to look at Peter's life as well as the letter that he wrote and learn from it in a way that says, He failed a ton. He did a lot that was great. And that's probably where we find ourselves, where we're like, yeah, I got some things figured out, but there's a lot of things where I'm dropping the ball and I need to learn to be more like Christ in. And so Peter is is amazing in that way to learn from. And so that's what we're doing is we're just reading through uh, the letter and we're taking it kind of thought by thought. And um, so this week we're going to talk about slavery. Yeah, you're like, okay, where are we going with that? What's that mean? So we're going to read this passage and... um, and we'll pull it apart, we'll dissect it, and hopefully we'll, we'll have some things that will transform us. And I come at this um, wanting to bring God's Word as a way that we all study, not that I have it all figured out, but I'm going to bring some things that hopefully will help you as you study this passage this week, that as you read it, because my hope and prayer would be that you read it a few times, because you'll start to see that when you first read it, you go, wait, what? And then you'll go, oh, I see what he's doing. I see what he's talking about. I see what he's trying to teach us here. So, um, yeah, that's me saying dig into it. Um, Let's read. So, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, so remember, this is him writing to these churches that are spread out all over the place that are um, not in their comfort zone. So, and he says, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Amen to that. I know that battle very well. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to to the emperor as the supreme authority or the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love your fellow believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. This is where you're probably like, put the brakes on. This guy's not preaching what we should be talking about. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Again, you might be like, what is going on here? To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So this is where he starts to go, okay, this is, 
this is kind of the preaching point. He goes, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That's one you want to underline there. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay, I know it's a big passage, but he gives this directive to people who are living as slaves in a culture that is different than ours. Let me just start out with that, okay? And then uh, throughout this passage, or throughout this this message, I'm going to unpack a few points in there that you'll go, okay, now I see what you're doing there. So first off, we got to talk about slavery. That's the very first thing where you're like, what's up with the slavery thing? Why is Peter not just like, leave, peace out, be done with it? Like, that's not okay. You should never condone that. We, 2,000 years later, have a different perspective than they had, all right? Not only culturally, but also with what we've learned throughout history, right? So we have hindsight. We have things that we've learned, things that we've discovered, things about God that we know that they were not aware of, and also culturally that were different. So here, let's talk about slavery. Um, one commentary summed it up this way. I'll just give you the, the full breakdown right here. It says, it's difficult for a 20, 20th century, 21st century Christian to understand the slavery of the ancient world. During the time of the New Testament writings, slavery was not a bad, as bad as that practiced in America before the Civil War. Ancient slaves had fairly normal marital lives. Often people sold themselves into slavery for a period of time as a way to get ahead in the world. Nevertheless, the lot of a slave could be very hard if the master was unkind. Okay? So it was, in some ways, a career. It was like, I don't have resources. I'm going to sell myself to this family. And you would live within a household. Okay? And so when it talks about slaves... There was this term, um, if you look in the Greek, um, this oikos or oiketes, which would then be the family that you would basically live in as a oiketes, a slave, um, but you would have education, you would have your own space within the household, and so a lot of them ended up being, as it lists here, doctors, um, they would be educated, um, teachers, musicians, actors, stewards of great estates, like there would have been, it would have been like a job, and it would have been a cultural norm to be a slave. But here's the nuance. Some people would sell themselves into a family, as in any of our families that were abusive, right? We all, I don't want to do by show of hands, maybe have a boss or a manager that you hated that you were like, I felt like I was a slave. Like, they treated me like trash, yeah? And you're like, I, like, them, I know I work for them, I know I'm obligated to certain things and expectations, but they treat me like trash, right? That's kind of the same situation. So for them, culturally, it wasn't like, like we mentioned earlier, American slavery, like what we think of as slavery, right? Um, And so that helps understand a little bit more of the context. And when he uses the word slave again, because he says, I want you to be a slave of God, Here's how he defines this. So um, that term is more of the idea of a bond servant, and the term is doulos, 
and there's a, there's a biker gang actually here in North County called Dulos, okay, which is pretty rad. Um, but now you understand why they call themselves this gang. But they're, uh, they're not a, they're a good gang, is that, or a good club. It's technically a club, right? You don't call them gangs. Um, but they, um, it's guys that have like, you know, that are Christians that have like either struggled with addiction and different things, and they join this, this club, and they ride bikes, and it's pretty rad. So Chris probably knows what's, what I'm talking about. Everybody else is like, ah, eh, that's cool. Um, North County uh, info that you probably didn't know about, and now you do. Um, the, uh, so the definition and the understanding, it was like, so doulos is the idea of binding, okay? And it was uh, an individual bound to another in servitude and conveys the idea of the slave's <clears throat> close binding ties with his master, belonging to him, obligated to and desiring to do his will and in permanent relation of servitude. In some, the will of the doulos is consumed in the will of the master. Okay? The will of the person, of the servant, is consumed with the will of the master. And so, culturally, I know this is like a shift. Like, when we hear this as Americans that are individuals that say, like, it's me, my thing, I do my own thing, and I have rights, and I do whatever I want to do, for them, it was like, no, there's certain things that we abide that are actually good for us. Like, I can be consumed with something that's actually really good for me and say that I'm going to give up my freedoms and my things because I want to be part of this, right? That's why we want to be part of, that's why gangs exist, that's why communities exist, like family units exist, because you give up a certain individual freedom to be a part of a certain group. And, sorry, that was, it's getting a little loud there. Um, the uh, Getting a little intense, getting excited about this, but being consumed with the things of God. And so when Peter talks about this, he's like, you're no longer consumed with the, the worldly ways. You're now consumed with God's ways, and you're consumed with the will of the master, being God, the Father that directs us, that knows and understands, like created us, understands us inside and out, the best way to live. So now we got slavery kind of understood a little bit from Peter's perspective and how he's communicating this when he talks about, I want you to be slaves. And you, we hear it go, no, 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 we're not cool with that. Like, that's, let's kick that out. This is a different way of looking at it. We have to, like, dig into Scripture sometimes and dig into context in order to really um, understand what he's talking about. And so, um, in verse 18, he says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, which acknowledge that there is communities where there was slave situations in households where it was good and considerate, right? But then he says, but also to those who are harsh, okay? And so Peter, first of all, I want to point out, recognizes that there is unjust situations. The same way that we recognize that there's some jobs that we have been in where it's unjust and it just doesn't, it's not a healthy work environment, right? Um, He says there is going to be those situations. So he acknowledges it. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes when people read this passage for face value, they're just like, yeah, Peter condones slavery. That would be boiling it way down to, its, to a point that doesn't even exist, right? Um, what he does is he recognizes it. He says there's places that are healthy and there's places that are unhealthy. And he says some of you live in those places where it's unhealthy. Um, and and, it, and it, he says basically it's, it's harsh, right? Um, and 
And again, that's recognizing the cultural situation. And I think one of the things that we sometimes as a church do is we don't give recognition or, um, or acknowledgement to pain, to struggle that exists in our world, right? And um, Matt brought this up. It's a beautiful quote that I want to read, and I want you to, uh, it'll be on the screen so you can kind of track with it and kind of let it sink in a little bit because it's pretty heavy. But Frederick Douglass has this, this beautiful quote that I think captures this idea of recognizing pain, but recognizing that we're not always, like one of the songs that Matt sang was like recognizing our lot in life. And this isn't acknowledging and recognizing that there's suffering and that we're just going to have to suffer through it. It's recognize that some of us, we're, we're going to be in pain. We're going to have situations that are difficult and challenging. Um, and how we face those is going to have to have a, a sense of like, we live in a fallen world. There's going to be pain. And so watch what Frederick Douglass does here. He says, I've often been utterly astonished since I came to the North to find persons who could speak of the singing among slaves as evidence of their contentment and happiness. It is impossible to conceive of a greater mistake. Slaves sing most when they're most unhappy. The songs of the slave represent the sorrows of the heart, and he is relieved by them, only as an aching heart is relieved by its tears. At least such is my experience. I have often sung to drown my sorrow, but seldom to express my happiness. Crying for joy and singing for joy were alike uncommon to me while in the jaws of slavery. The singing of a man cast away upon a desolate island might be as appropriately considered as evidence of contentment and happiness as the singing of a slave. The songs of the one and of the other are prompted by the same emotion. And this emotion, the struggle, the pain, what Peter does is he's not trying to say that slavery is okay, just bear up under it and it's fine. Like he's not saying that in any way. What he's saying is that some of us have this lot in life that you can't change in some situations. It doesn't, he's not saying that it's right. He's not, he's just saying that there's going to be pain. There's going to be moments of struggle, moments of difficulty. And we don't ignore that pain. We acknowledge it. And we do recognize that we live in a broken world and our response to evil can be one of two things. And here's what happens. We can fight evil with evil or we can fight evil with good. We can, we can enter into those things and say, that's wrong, and say, I'm going to do the same thing right back at you, or we can take the Jesus route and begin to show a different way. And that's what I hope I can start to unpack a little bit more. And I'm not going to cover everything because this conversation could go really deep in a lot of different rabbit holes, right? So um, let's continue on in, in this thought, but I just want to talk about the pain there and acknowledge that because I think that's a very real thing that we have to recognize in there. So this passage is... A, is basically a response to the slavery and the leadership, because he talks about governors and emperors in this situation. And what he calls the disciples to is this. Unimpeachable character, right? Because repeatedly he says, the situation's lame, but how you react is everything. What you do in that situation has opportunity to represent Jesus. And he quotes in the very beginning, right off the bat, the first thing he quotes is a Sermon on the Mount message from Jesus, the very first message that Jesus says where he says, let your light shine. Like, let your life be such an example that will, people will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven, right? It's in Matthew chapter 5 if you want to read that. 
but it's like he's, he's echoing Jesus' message right off the bat of like, your deeds, the way that you live, the way that you carry yourself, even in the midst of unjust situations, is going to be a representation to those people around you what it looks like to follow Christ. That if you come back with anger, fighting, it's just you're perpetuating the same exact thing that they are doing to you, right? So it's like our response is so critical, and this unimpeachable character is key. So the definition is of such high standard of honesty and moral goodness that it cannot be doubted or criticized. And that's what Peter says. He's like, the way that you live will be so unique that they'll have to go, what's up with that? Like, we can't call them out for anything because it's so good and the way that you're living is so impressive and it's, it's so contrary, so countercultural that it calls for action. Check out verse 15. He says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. He calls them out. He's like, that's ignorant talk. It's foolishness. It's coming from people that are just basically wanting their way versus the way that is good for everybody. And essentially what it says is roll the footage, right? Roll the footage. Like, what happened? And that's what we have in our culture right now is like, roll the footage. Like, show me what they did. And if the person's loving and kind and generous in that situation, you're like, what's wrong with that? What did they do wrong? Roll the footage, right? Uh, Matt brought up a really good point as we were talking about this sermon that um, TV shed light on racism, not only recently, but in the 60s when Martin Luther King was starting to talk and TV radio, and people were seeing the march that was starting to happen and his speeches, that initially kicked into gear an awareness, right? So television just made people aware of, like, what's going on. So it was kind of like the real of, like, look what's happening. Which one's better? Do you like what you're seeing or do you not like what you're seeing, right? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And people like this Baptist preacher, Martin Luther King, were able to, like, communicate a message that basically pushed back the uninformed, ignorant talk that Peter talks about. That uninformed foolishness that's just like, that's not even right. Like, that's not okay. Like, this isn't, it's not right to treat people that way. And now there's this awareness of it, and, and so he calls it out and basically says, that's ignorant, foolish talk. Like, you, the way that you live, if you live this good way, people are going to go, yeah, it's pretty obvious. Like, they're loving, kind, generous people, and the, what you're doing doesn't doesn't work. It cla- there's a clash that's happening there. In verse 12, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Live such good lives that people are going to be like, dang, I can't argue that. That's crazy. Like what you're doing is, it's crazy, right? It's so countercultural. And the Roman government at that time because what it ends with here in this passage is using the example of Jesus. The Roman government of that time forced its way to do whatever it wanted to do, right? And Christ followers had an opportunity to live this contrasting life in that world. They, they had an opportunity to be a contrast community. Their response and how they reacted to certain things would be evident of what they valued. It would be so obvious. And clearly they valued God's ways over their own ways, right? Um, over their own freedoms even. And the way that the kingdom works is 
is so counterculture. It's so different. And ultimately, it points out, Jesus ended up on a cross, right? He ended up on a cross for how he lived, for what he did. Jesus's crucifixion ultimately was a protest for people to see, like, look what the culture's doing, right? Like, he's, he's the guy who's the most loving, right? The example of the most generous, the most caring, and where did he end up? What ended up happening to his life, right? Um, but ultimately, he showed that he has power over death, over sin, and, uh, and demonstrated that in a, a beautiful way that brought redemption and new life. God was on trial and he lost. How crazy is that? So for us to think that our good deeds and what we're doing in a cultural setting is going to be somehow different, um, I think we'd be mis- misled. Um, what we do when we are generous, when we are loving, when we are kind, sometimes that will get spit on. Sometimes that will not be um, seen as the best thing in our culture, right? Um, and maybe you've experienced that where you've been loving, where you've been super kind to somebody and still got um, ridiculed for that in some way. Um, what Peter calls the disciples to is the surrender that says, we ultimately know that God's way is the best way. And surrender to Christ will result in an unimpeachable character. That like when we begin to surrender life to fully just be like, I want to be completely consumed with Jesus, you're going to have that kind of character. You're going to be that kind of person that people are going to go, wow, that's so different. That's so kind. That's so what I want more of, right? That's ultimately why I became a Christian was because I was around people that had that unimpeachable character that I was like, man, they don't steal. They don't lie to me behind my back. Like they treat me with respect and dignity. It was like, no matter, even if I treated them like trash, right? Before I became a Christian, it was like, I treat them like trash and they're still kind. I'm like, what is this? And they're still loving to me. Like, and that was convincing that they were surrendered to something bigger than themselves. That's not something you do on your own strength. That's something you do out of the strength of Christ. I want to show you a video that talks about this surrender, and then we're going to close. Check this out. It's like a four-minute video. Francis Chan basically lays out surrender. So check this out. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are we good? good yeah. yeah. Awesome. You know, when most people talk about the American dream, it's... Uh, it's about safety, security, you know, I want to grow old with my kids, grandkids, have all sorts of money, and it's all about the here and now. So it's, it's antithetical to Scripture, where Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. He didn't uh, invite the disciples into the American dream. He invited them into a, a life of suffering. Um, in fact, the scriptures teach that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we're, we're kind of signing up for a war, you, you, you know, the American dream versus this spiritual warfare that we're in. And so anyone that spent any time in the New Testament can see that, you know, following Christ isn't easy. In fact, the people that were begging him to follow, you know, saying, I, I want to follow you. Jesus says, you You sure? Because the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, if you follow me, we're homeless tonight. 
And so you're really leaving things up in the air rather than controlling them, which is what the American dream is all about, is I have control over my life. I've got everything set up for the rest of my life. That's the dream is absolute control versus absolute surrender. Could you talk about lordship and mm. obedience and saying yes mm -hmm. to the Lord, that there be no no's left in our heart? All right. You know, when Jesus called people to himself, it was a call to follow him. He just said, follow me. Um, it's implied in there clearly this sense of lordship, of he's our master. I go where he tells me to go. That's why he asks questions like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Because this doesn't make sense. You're giving me this lip service of you're calling me Lord, and yet you're not doing what I ask you to do. And so I remember when I was younger, there was a big debate. I, I, I think it's died out by now. But back in the day, it was like, well, can you accept him as Savior, but not as Lord? Can you say, okay, I want you to save me, but I don't want to follow you? And I think back then there was actually the belief of, oh, yeah, sure, we can follow him as Savior. And then later on, we can decide whether or not we want him as our Lord. I think most of that's died out and we see the foolishness of it. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. And where can we find any type of biblical mandate or, or promise that all we have to do is have this intellectual assent and say, yeah, I want him to be my savior, but I have no desire to follow him. How can anyone read the New Testament and get that solution? It was just something that we wanted. It's like, well, can I still control my life and just have the assurance that I'm not going to hell? Uh, that's that's basically what we were we were after, and what I love about this generation is they're reading scripture for themselves. They're seeing the obvious, like, well, of course he's Lord, he's God, he's in control. We fear him, we follow him, we love him. We, the the whole idea of trusting him is saying, you know what? I trust your commands will actually lead to life. I actually trust that if I lose my life, I'm actually going to find it because that's what you told me. So let me let go, surrender. And this is a little scary because we're all about control. And it's like, okay, you're my new master. I've just surrendered myself to you. That's what it means. That's what baptism was. I am dying to myself. That means I'm giving up control. Francis is no longer alive. Now it's Christ who lives in me. So take me where you want me to go because I trust this is going to be a better life for me. Um, this, is, this is the way to fulfillment, the, the full abundant life that Christ talks about, which doesn't mean it's always going to be easiest. In fact, most of the time it's not. And doesn't mean that it's the most fun all of the time because it does include pain and suffering and sacrifice. But the conclusion will always be our blessing. Even the suffering is going to be more abundant than us holding on to our lives controlling our own lives and our destiny and saying, no, Jesus, I surrender to you. Um, that full surrender is what, what Peter's calling these disciples to, is that the master that we have in God knows the best way to live and fully surrendering to that and I'd, I'd be the first to admit that initially surrendering to that was a battle, and it still is, um, but it's a battle of 
recognizing the difference between what the world and this culture and what evil tells us and the lies that we're sold versus what the kingdom tells us and the promises that we have in the kingdom. Um, I fell to that so many times and I still fall to that at times where it's like I see the areas where I'm convinced that are consumed, as we talked about earlier, consumed by like me, my 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 circumstances, my situation, making sure that I'm comfortable, all these different things, rather than what is God calling me to right now? What kind of a surrender is he calling me to? And, um, and that's ultimately what Peter says here. And, and that, that way of living is going to be an example to our world, to whatever he's talking about, slave masters or whatever it is. It's going to be an example to our world that we are so different that what Jesus is doing in us is so different yet so life-giving that it'll convince people of the gospel. It'll convince people of what's happening um, in Christ. And so these last few verses, it says in verse 23, it says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And the word I want to focus on there is that he entrusted himself. Jesus entrusted himself even in the darkest, craziest moment. He says, I trust that God has a plan in this. I trust that God will get us through this. Again, going back to doulos. The will of the doulos is consumed in the will of the master. Are we so consumed with that? And again, I was just going to say, like, I want to admit that I'm consumed with other things. I'm so often consumed with things that don't really matter, consumed with things that I know don't fulfill the same way that living in Christ does. And, and so I want to end with a couple of questions that I think we could take into our life group or just even if you want to write them down or like look them up in the notes um, on the digital bulletin, bulletin there um, that will help guide us and I think help us wrestle with like what are we consumed with? That would be the first question. Like what are we consumed with? Like what... I know that's like going straight to the jugular and like getting pretty intense with like what this passage is calling us to, but what are we consumed with? Like what are the things that you're daily consumed with that, um, that either you worry about, that you care about way too much, that you're too focused on, that really ultimately when you talk to God and what he desires probably don't matter, that probably don't matter as much as they should. Um, and it's not that we don't do things that we enjoy and have family and these different things, but we hold them loosely. We hold them in this place of like God's in control of these things and he wants to do amazing things. Second question is um, in verse 17, he says, show respect to everyone. Who in your life right now, this is another one that's going straight to the juggler, who in your life right now is difficult to show respect to? Right? Like, oh, that hurts. Who in your life right now is very difficult? It could be culturally, it could be somebody that's like, maybe it's a boss, I don't know. Um, Maybe it's somebody you work with, maybe it's somebody in your family. Who's very difficult right now to show respect to? Because that ultimately is what Peter's calling us to, is like, how can you begin to show respect and and lead by example in those situations? And the last one is, are you known more for what you are against than what you are for? Because everything that Peter said was like, you're not going to point out and point the finger at all the evil that's going on. What you're going to do is you're going to be good you're going to live your life Christ-like, and then people are going to go, what the heck? Like, that's, that's so unique. That's so different. That's so generous. That's so loving. What's up with your life? What's going on? But if you're known as the angry person that's, like, wagging the finger at everything, like, that, there's a place for, I think, 
naming injustices and talking about those things and finding solutions. But I'm saying is like, if you're only known for that, you're not going to be known for love. You're not going to be known, for, known as somebody who is Christ-like that is going to be somebody that people want to be around and just be like, yes, that person, they include me. They're loving, they're kind. They're, it's something beautiful about that. So let me pray us out. Um, I know I went over a little bit on time, but this passage has a lot to pack in. I didn't want to just like throw things at you and then you're like, wait, what the heck? What's up with slavery? So um, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word as challenging and convicting as it can be. Um, help us to continue to wrestle with these passages that um, sometimes we just want to skip over and we're like, eh, let's not talk about that. But Lord, we know that your heart is for your people and your heart is for us to develop the kind of character that is unimpeachable, that is beautiful, that is good. Um, not to make us look good, but to make you look good, Jesus. To begin to be a reflection of your heart in this world. And so work through us as we go into this week. Convict us of areas where we need to uh, maybe hold things a little looser and care about some things a little less. Um, and, and be consumed a little less about other things. And be more consumed with you, Jesus, and, and your ways and your desires. And so we... We pray this all in your name. Amen. Um, if you have questions about these things, we'd love to be chatting about them. Life Group's a great space to do that. So I'd say, like, if you have questions, if you leave here, you're like, what the heck? What, what was Nate talking about? Like, that's crazy. I would just encourage you just to dig into it with somebody that's here um, and, and dig further into it. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of every single day. So, amen, and grace and peace to you.